Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Alcoholics Anonymous was afforded the opportunity back in 1951 uh, when both Dr. Bob had passed on, and prior to his passing, uh, he and Bill had gotten together, um, and they realized it was time that they were not going to be around forever, and it was time to pass the torch. And there were discussions between Bill and Bob, and the resulting discussions was the beginning of the General Service Conference, the first one which took place in 1951. And it was designated at that time that it was going to be given a five-year trial basis. Um, The next General Service Conference will be taking place in a few weeks, so obviously the five-year trial was successful. Uh, But in keeping with this theme, I'd just like to read some excerpts from uh, what Bill wrote in regards to what took place at that first conference. And he said, so we went, session after session, morning, afternoon, and evening. The delegates handled several tough puzzles about which we at GSO were in doubt, sometimes giving advice contrary to our own conclusions. In nearly every instance, we saw that they were right. Then and there they proved, as never before, that AA's tradition, too, was correct. The group conscience could safely act as the sole authority and sure guide for Alcoholics Anonymous. And then he concluded his talk by saying, As I watched all this grow, I became entirely sure that Alcoholics Anonymous was at last safe, even from me. Our two speakers today... um, In my mind, having been uh, as part of the work of uh, the role of the alternate delegate is to serve as liaison to the Hispanic districts and to the the young people in Alcoholics Anonymous in Area 49. Um, And over the past 15 months, uh, I've gotten to know more about um, how each of these entities work and... uh, how in my own right, uh, certain uncomfortabilities came apart as, as I began to attend their meetings. And what it brought to mind was that in each of, each of their own rights, these two speakers, they have been asked also to reflect upon how it was when they first came to Alcoholics Anonymous. One speaker came from a foreign country with a language barrier and tried to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it became difficult when one one is pretty much unable to speak English. Um, And our second speaker um, doesn't have that problem. She also happens to be fluent in Spanish, uh, but she was a young person that came into Alcoholics Anonymous And I've often thought over the past 15 months or so uh, how these people adapted to Alcoholics Anonymous and how they threw themselves into service and are able to do service while at the same time um, overcoming some barriers, um, looking for work, uh, going to school, perhaps even... uh, people who are getting married and starting to raise a family at a young age. How do they manage to balance AA on one hand and everything else on the other hand and remain sober and at the same time carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous? The alcoholic who still suffers. My first Hispanic Assemblea, I walked in with a lot of trepidation. And I wasn't even in in the room 10 seconds 
and people came over to me and welcomed me and put their arm around me and they said, welcome. They said a few words of English to me. Um, and over the past few months, I've managed to say a few words of Spanish to them um, in learning a bit. Um, but after I was greeted by the people, our good friend Raphael, who is the chairman of the translation committee, handed me an object that allowed me to sit in front of the room and listen to what they said in Spanish coming through my ear in English. Um, and it, for me, it was a revelation. A few months ago, um, one of the DCMs from, from, from a local county came to the Assemblea, and uh, when the Assemblea was over, his remarks to me were, I really have an appreciation today of the work that the translation committee does in carrying the message from translating languages into another language. For that, I think you all thank our translation committee, Raphael, for the work that he and his committee do. <coughs> I know it made my job a lot easier being there. Um, and in terms of going to NICEPAR, uh, that was kind of an easier transition because over the years I had come to know and work with many people um, in the past uh, at past CINI conventions. Some of you remember, may remember Daniel and Laura and Megan and, uh, and Darren. Um, some of you people may not want to remember Darren, but, uh, <laughs> but the one thing that I remember about it is that, is, is that I got to see another side of Alcoholics Anonymous and the enthusiasm that these young people had. Um, and I see it today. I go to a NICEPAR meeting, and there's 30, 40 people there, enthusiastic, looking to do something to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I see that same compassion in the Hispanic districts. Um, some of the Hispanic district committee chairs are now coming to the CINI standing committee meetings. They're coming to the service participation meeting. And we invite them to come and we tell them that if you come and you have a problem with English, let us know and we will bring the translation committee to you. So they come. And their experience, strength, and hope has enabled our standing committees to become stronger and to carry the message in areas that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So I'm grateful for those opportunities. Our first speaker... Um, has the privilege over the last few years to um, get involved in service and to really enjoy service. Um, recently, he, he told me that he was even getting involved in doing some prison work um, and that the one thing that he liked about doing prison work now is that he got to leave instead of stay there. Um, but he has also shown a passion for... Uh, for the for the grapevine in in terms of the Spanish publication La Vina, um, and, and it's a passion and an enthusiasm that I that I've watched over the last 15 months and actually even before that. Um, in my mind, he's a, a a great powerful example to the Hispanic community and to AA as a whole, um, and that's really what it's all about. We I. I Sometimes I don't like to differentiate between Hispanic community um, because they are a part of CINI um, and, and they're an integral part of CINI. Um, so I ask for you now to please welcome Luis. Wow, this is great. I've never seen so many alcoholics together. And we are sober today. Good afternoon, family. My name is Luis, and I am an alcoholic. First of all, I would like to thank my higher power for being here, for not having that first drink today. And for that, today is the most important day of my life. Second, I would like to thank all of you for my sobriety. And to tell you the truth, I'm very nervous today. Um, my shake are, my legs are shaking, just like when I did my first meeting. But not only my legs were shaking that day, my whole body. 
the members of my home group, they gave me a, they offered me a cup of coffee, and I, could, I, I couldn't hold it on my hands. And that's how I want to start my speech, sharing with you 35 years of alcoholism, 35 years that brought me to the insanity. I did two rehabs, one detox, uh, several arrests. Eight years before I got to the program, I was diagnosed with uh, hepatitis B. Two years later, hepatitis C. I stepped away from that, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. It's amazing how things happen. It's hard for me to tell you right now what I felt that night. I was still in denial, shaking, but for sure, I have to assure you right now that I didn't want to stop drinking that night. I think I just was a little break. I think I just want a place where I can hide. And one thing, I was tired of being so tired. I really, all the many doors were closing on me. But uh, one of the things that is funny, I did my first rehab when I was 24 years old. 25 years before this, uh, uh, this meeting. They told me that I have an addiction problem, that I couldn't have that first drink. They told me about uh, people, places, and things. But they didn't, they didn't mention AA at all. I guess wasn't that popular at that time in my country. Uh, when the, my, uh, me, uh, when the members in my group start guiding me into the program, I thought that maybe at this time I will have a better option, a better opportunity. And always come to my mind how tired my mother was because I always was calling her with problems. I always was asking her for money. My family didn't want me around them because I was a bad example for my nieces and nephews. But I started coming to the meetings, meeting people, asking phone numbers, and trying to do whatever you were suggesting me to do wasn't a desire that to stop drinking or wasn't like I was accepting my alcoholism. It's just, I don't know what it was, but I was going to the meetings. On my, on my first, I mean, my second DWI, my car flipped, uh, I mean, I fell asleep on the wheels. I hit into three, three other cars. My car flipped over three times and landed upside down. And the first thing that come to my, came to my mind was to get rid of the cans, the empty cans. Uh, the police came sooner than, than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they made me walk on a um, straight line, and they took them only a few seconds to realize how drunk I was. While I was going to, um, uh, to the New Rochelle police station, I uh, uh, started thinking what was going to happen with me. Fines, lawyers, probation, outpatient clinics, and probably jail time. But not for a second, passed to my mind that I you know, have to stop drinking. I knew that I got a, a drinking problem I knew that, you know, I couldn't uh, keep doing this this far, but suddenly, so, somehow, I didn't want to stop. When I got to my first uh, meeting, uh, they welcomed me, they clapped their hands, they told me that I was the most important person that night, they changed their topic uh, meeting that night, and they dedicated that night to me. And right now, I can't explain what happened that night. But for sure, I got to tell you that, you know, I was, uh, 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 some, something brought me there. I didn't know what.
little by little I start listening what you know my my members in the group uh, was telling. I always was criticizing everyone and all of them. I always was trying to do things that they didn't tell me to do. They used to tell me, come to a meeting whenever you want, and come to a meeting when, whenever you don't want to come. And those things stay in my mind, and little by little I start uh, walking into this problem. Like I told you before, I wasn't accepting my, uh, my disease, but uh, suddenly I start noticing a few things. Suddenly I start uh, noticing that I was, you know, uh, respecting myself a little more than before. I, I was doing my bed every morning. Only God knows how many years I didn't do my bed. I was uh, cooking at home, eating better, taking care of myself a little better. And this is how my journey into AA started. And uh, on my first uh, detox, one night I was drinking, like always, by myself. An idea came to my mind. Go to a hospital, check in for a detox. And that's what I did. I went to um, uh, United Hospital in Port Chester and checked in. I was there for three days. And an hour Later, after I got released, I was drinking again. And those things stay in my mind. Those things I got to keep with me for the rest of my life. But one thing that right now I can tell you is that little by little, something was changing on me. I started realizing how bad I was. I was listening a little closer. I was enjoying meetings better. And uh, I always remember this. So many nights, many nights, you know, uh, at home, I was watching TV. But now I can tell you that the TV, the TV was watching me with a hand in, uh, with a beer in my hands and crying. Not only tears, crying. Why I couldn't stop this uh, insanity? Why I couldn't stop drinking? And I never could just, uh, uh, drink by myself, stop drinking by myself. So when I got there, I, uh, uh, oh, when I did my, my second uh, rehab, I did it at Rockland County uh, hospital, Mental Hospital, Blaisdell Clinic. I was there, the 28-day programs, and I didn't last a week outside. I relapsed. After I relapsed, from that clinic, I have a court sent me to another three outpatient clinics. I did two before that, those, uh, those three. Nothing happened. I started going to a meeting in English. Not, nothing happened. I was trying everything and anything. I um, wasn't drinking before I was going to go out, but they, uh, I mean the result was the same. I, don't, I didn't remember how I got home. I was buying only a 12-pack for the whole weekend. Didn't pass a Friday. <laughs> I uh, started buying the 7 ounces can to make believe myself that I was drinking less. <laughs> I even went to see a witch doctor. <laughs> this guy gave me all kinds of beverage different kinds of uh, weeds, and I started to smoke those weeds to see if I could bed better sooner. <laughs> the disaster was the same. The result was the same. But when I started, you know, little by little, uh, walking into AA, as, uh, visiting different groups, trying to, to see, and uh, sometimes I did like two or three meetings a day, and many times, I didn't want to go there. One uh, Sunday, it was like 11 o'clock at night, I was, you know, having everything ready to watch some football. And uh, with, you know, my soda, chips, and everything, and I got a phone call. Hey, you want to you wanna go to a meeting? I was like, these people don't know that this football, Sunday football? 
And I went there. We were supposed to go to a meeting in Long Island that was a, an hour and a half away from New Rochelle. And when we got there, they didn't have the meeting. So in order to go to the second meeting, we have to wait six hours. And I, I was, end of November, it was cold. And to tell you the truth, when I walked to that uh, 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 meeting, I spent there and, you know, and I was furious. I didn't want to see, we were like six people in one small car, so it made a horrible trip back and forth. When I got home, I was, I mean, I, I almost slammed the door. But I, when I w went back to my uh, bedroom, I noticed that I didn't drink that day. And that was something that, you know, I felt right inside me. Many nights after a meeting, I used to get home, go to my bedroom, and got to my knees and ask, and ask God for another 24 hours. Many of those nights I was crying, and also took me a couple weeks to realize that I have to do a little more than um, ask. So I started paying more attention, visiting more groups, and I was going into my fourth month of sobriety, I mean, sobriety, when I got to my district, uh, District 814, as a GSR. I even didn't know what GSR stand for. <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. But once again, it's something that pulled me right into that, that room. I knew it that if I was staying only in the groups, I was going to relapse. I always share this. I was the king of the relapses, only 54 relapses. I couldn't stay more than a week sober. But when I got there, I heard that, uh, um, that there was a group, that there was an structure, how important were the groups, uh, why we have an structure backwards, I thought it was um, um, Spanish backwards, because we speak, you know, backwards. <laughs> but uh, I started learning a, a, a little more about the districts, assembly, and all that stuff. And I started realizing that, you know, AA was bigger than the groups. AA was much, much bigger, and there were so many things that I could do to stay, to stay sober. Uh, when I was there, I heard that uh, I could write my story in a, in a magazine called La Viña. So I did it. Like two months later, my article got, was uh, published, something unusual, because it takes more than a year sometimes to be published. And uh, right there, my uh, service sponsor advised me or suggested me that I have to keep that with me, that I will have... I will help in that way better to people. I didn't understand him, but later I realized how important it is to, you know, to help somebody through your story in a magazine. People from different states, countries, and people that you even didn't know. And that suggestion stayed with me, and I start working. When I write my, when my, my article was um, published, uh, they asked me to, to speak in, um, in a La Viña workshop. My mother was alive and she helped me with my, uh, my speech. I can't picture her right now. So happy, so peaceful, so restful giving me ideas how to speak in, 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 in public, giving me all her support. So I took her to that workshop. So I started my speech and I was practicing, I mean, I started my speech the way I was practicing for, for, with her for weeks. But I couldn't, I couldn't finish my speech. I started crying. The only thing I could do was uh, thank you for the opportunity, and I ran to my mom, hugged my mom, and we start crying together. And folks, I gotta share this with you. 
That was my spiritual awakening. That's why I'm my spiritual awakening, because right there, I felt what an alcoholic feels. All the suffering, all the, uh, the harm that, that I have done, and everything was there. In that moment, I uh, accept myself as an alcoholic, and I knew it, that the only way that I, uh, I could stay sober was if I was going to stay in AA. But something was missing. There was a little bit that was missing in that puzzle. Everything was taking place little by little, but something was missing. So I was still a GSR for my group. Uh, what I did, I started doing service in my group in a good will. You know, we, we you know, start working very hard for it. And even sometimes there are some members that they don't like service or they don't want to hear about service. But, you know, I have so many service sponsors, and they gave me all kinds of suggestions. So I start doing only women's uh, meetings. We start doing workshops, service workshops, Lavinia writing workshops. We, say, I, I, uh, we project a, a few movies with the only purpose of, of staying ho um, sober. So when I start putting this together, you know, with the groups, with the different groups, with the districts, with assembly, with AA World uh, Service, and all that stuff together, I knew that that was the only way that AA can be together, united. That's how I start, you know, walking into, into AA, and these folks changed my life 180 degrees. I was uh, walking better. I was enjoying every meeting. I was all the workshops, conventions, NERASA, and everything. I was there. Uh, last, this year, at the beginning of this year, Lavinia, oh, by the way, uh, they, um, um, I, I became um, Lavinia coordinator for my district. And right there, I start noticing a few things in my life. I start noticing that I could do things in a good way and things that I never expect I have, I have done. I, I, I always wanted to do something with my life, and this was the key of doing things. So at the beginning of this year, um, Lavinia got into a Valhalla jail. I started asking people. I went to the uh, GS, uh, GSO, of the, uh, GSO. I started calling people and trying to do, and everybody was. I called a lady from that jail like at least six or seven times and no answers. But one night, I walked into an English meeting, and I asked the guy, and the guy said, you want to come with us? So we're there. So little by little, I was, you know, getting things just, you know, to help somebody else. The way I was helped when I got into AA, the ways that, you know, that, the, uh, that you advised me to do, to give, to give, to give uh, freely what I got one day. And that's how, I, you know, I started doing service. And I really enjoyed this. When I, when I started my, uh, my service, I started reading the book uh, AA Comes of Age. And uh, the, most, the, the thing that impressed me the most was that the help that, that, that we got from non-alcoholic people, professionals, lawyers, doctors, psychologists, uh, nuns, and uh, non-alcoholic friends, the wives of the alcoholics, come to my mind names like Dr. Silwork, um, uh, Padre, uh, uh, Shoemaker, T. Bout, Ed Dowling, Nelson Rockefeller, and a few more, and how these people start helping our program, how these people start going into the things like our Rockefeller uh, told us that uh, our program didn't need much money of it needs 
needs a little bit, otherwise will be uh, ruined. And that became our saving tradition, to be responsible. How, uh, you know, many people start helping? And I just want to read this because I want to say it right. What's the, the words of Sam Shoemaker in his intervention celebrating the 20th anniversary of, a, of AA? It made me think a lot. He says, on this occasion when AA turns an historic page, when, leaders, <clears throat> when leaderships will be bigger than the past, let's thank God for his, for his kindness to us, to his guidance, prosperity, use, usefulness, richness, richness in developing this marvelous force of our time, and for the promise that AA be present for countless of thousands and maybe millions of people in the future. Today, we are more than 117,000 groups worldwide. We are more than 2.5 million alcoholics in recovery. And statistics says that for every recovery alcoholic, 40 people benefit from family, uh, friends, neighbors, co-workers, police, hospitals. <laughs> and this is how I start, you know, feeling what I, you know, what I have to do. But something that, you know, impressed me the more and, uh, you know, bring a few tears in my, uh, in my eyes was <clears throat> the words of the deceased Barnard Smith in the 1954 convention, non-alcoholic, architect of the AA structure, when he was asked, why we need a conference? He answered eloquently, maybe we don't need a general service conference for our own recovery. We need it to make sure the recovery of that alcoholic a few steps away from this room. We need it to make sure that any child is, that is born tonight who is predestinated to alcoholism. And that word gave me the idea of what I got to do for the rest of my life, one day at a time, but for the rest of my life, trying to carry the message to the person that needed it trying to visit clinics, jails, hospitals, police stations, libraries, talk to professional judges, and whatever can help us to pass to carry the message. Today, my life is very different. My life is, you know, 50% work and home. The other 50% is Alcoholics Anonymous. I get home, I go to my computer, I check my emails, all related to AA. And I got a, a, a new girlfriend, actually is my fiance right now. And she helped me a lot with it. She never, you know, says, don't go to a meeting today or whatever. There was a few things that I, she says, I don't feel good, so I ask her, because we have in the calendar, we have all the, the assemblies, workshops, whatever that I cannot change. And I told her, things I can't change, you can tell me I stay home. But there's only where a few, a, a few places. Even she, she uh, comes with me to uh, workshops. And uh, somebody advised her to go to Alanon. <laughs> and she says, no way. The fun is here. And she, she, uh, um, she was with me in many meetings, uh, but now she realized that I need to go to a meeting by myself, but any workshop, any assembly, or whatever, she comes with me. Unfortunately, she was going to be with me. She is with me, but uh, she got a test at work, and uh, probably she's going to be later today. But that's other thing that I gotta ask, because through AA, through service, 
I'm responsible for, for everything at work, at home, with my home group, with my service. And I try to be the person I always dream. I try to be like today, I can make my life, my mother alive. I can keep her with me, and she can tell me that I'm doing, I'm going in the right path. When I started in AA, I you know, accept myself, I saw a path. I saw a new life in my life. And this, I got to share with you, that is the best part of my life. I can go and bed and sleep well. I can get up in the morning and be happy that I have a job. Be happy that, you know, it's another day that I don't have to suffer from my, my, my disease. But it's another day that I got a challenger to, to stay sober. Wow. Today is a very important day for me. I was so nervous when I was here. I even was in the room getting dressed. And I uh, was telling my brother that somewhere there that uh, I felt uh, I felt a little nervous. And he says, that's good. I said, in which way is good? I'm nervous. <laughs> and he says, that's emotion that you got to take care of it. He is not an alcoholic. But he told me the clue that I was looking for for 35 years, how to control my emotions, how to keep my mind busy through service, to help somebody else with the only purpose of staying sober. I would like to end my speech with Dr. Bob's words when he says, I was just the first link in that change of providential circumstances that today we call AA. By the grace of God and a good luck, my current link is not broke. I was just another alcoholic trying to move on, forget about me, keep going, and try to do the same. Add another link to our change, and with God's help, make that change is forged from strong and truth. My name is Luis, and I am an alcoholic. But today, I can say proudly, I can say with no uh, sadness in me, because my past is, my yesterday's past is gone. Today I have in my life AA, today you are in my heart. God bless uh, AA, thank you very much. Thank you, Elise, for your very inspiring message. And uh, Over the years of coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I've heard of many different ways that people have tried to stop drinking without coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. But today I heard a new one, a witch doctor. <laughs> Obviously that didn't work either. Our next speaker, um, since I've been going to NICEPA meetings, uh, for the most part, is always there um, and is a, an integral part of, uh, of NICEPA. Um, a couple of months ago, um, the NICEPA chair, Max, was invited to the Hispanic Assemblea to speak to the Assemblea uh, in regards to inviting young Hispanic members of Alcoholics Anonymous to come be a part of NICEPA. And uh, our translation committee chair, Rafael, got up to translate into Spanish uh, for Max, um, but he didn't have to because Max brought his own translator along. Uh, 
who is our next speaker, it turns out that she not only speaks English very well, but she did a fantastic job on Spanish. Um, but the one thing I've come to know about Erica over the past few months is that she currently serves as the 12-step call chair for NICEPA, and in her words, it's the best commitment that I've ever had. Please welcome Erica. Excuse me. Hi, my name is Erica, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, first of all, Luis, that was fantastic. I, I cannot follow that. Jim, thank you so much. Jim is amazing. <laughs> He's so great. I've, I've really loved getting to know him over the last, I don't know, year or so. Um, I am terrified. <laughs> I really am terrified. Um, I have to start by saying that I nominated myself to speak. <laughs> um, I did not realize it was such a big meeting. Uh, and since I did realize it, I have just, I've been thinking about it nonstop. I was like, oh my God, I've made such a huge mistake. <laughs> I mean, but you know, and then it's just like, oh, it's all about, you know, if just help one person, be of service to one person. You know, and then I get up here and I hear Luis, and I'm like, I was just overwhelmed with this emotion, and um, and I realized that, you know, I got back. I was I was coming here, and I was like, you know, I'm just here to give back, <laughs> and like, it got flipped because, you know, I haven't even spoken yet, and I've just gotten back so much. Sometimes, you know, my sobriety date is November 7, 2005, and, you know, to be honest, sometimes, like, I, I've built up this, or AA has given me this big life, this big, full, rich life, and sometimes I'm going along and I'm like, God, I have so much going on, and, um, <clears throat> ugh, you know, how am I going to fit in meetings um, and service and all that, and, um, and then... You know, and, I, and then I get to hear, you know, someone like Luis, who is, has so much humility and really brings me back. Um, and it's, it's just such a gift. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about, you know, my story and, and what, it's, what happened and what it's like now. Um, <clears throat> I am from Miami. Um, as Jim mentioned, I'm from a half-Hispanic home. Um, I'm from a very strict household, uh, or it was when I was growing up, um, and I really, I latched on to that. I, um, I was really all about being, like, perfect and a perfectionist and an overachiever um, and, uh, and just pleasing everyone. And so, um, you know, academics were very important in my household, and you had to be, you know, a straight-A student, like, minimum, right? And, you know, you also had to do all the activities, and, you know, I had to be the best ballerina and the best drama student and, um, <clears throat> and all that. And as a result, I really um, felt very isolated from all my peers from a very young age, or at least that's, like, my explanation for why I felt that way. Um, and uh, so I didn't really have a lot of friends. And, um, and then so I get into high school, and there was just all this buildup um, from that pressure, right, that pressure that my parents put on me and, and that pressure that I had taken on for myself um, of having to, um, to do so much and be so perfect. Um, and then, of course, adolescence came, and there were mood swings and hormones, and, and so I was feeling a lot of depression, you know, and sadness, and I found myself, like, crying all the time. And, and I was a little bit of a late bloomer, right, because, you know, I had to be such a do-gooder. But eventually I, I found drugs and alcohol, and I remember um, <clears throat> the, first, the first two times that I tried them, um, I was about 15 and, and 16 were the two times, and I remember the first time I put them in my body so, so vividly um, because I just, I liken it to being in love. 
um, I was so happy so quickly. Uh, I felt like I just felt like I had found what life is supposed to be like. Um, all the stresses were gone, and um, first of all, I felt like a part of you know whatever was going on around me, and that was so important to me. I was like, oh my God, is this what everyone else feels like all the time? Um, is this what I've been missing out on? And um, and I, I just felt like it was this euphoria, and I just wanted it to be like that all the time. And I've always been someone who's very fearless. Um, and so I was just like off to the races, you know, I was like about the second time, you know, that that happened. I was like, I don't even care. I need to be this way, you know, every day, all the time. Um, and that's what I proceeded to do. I mean, of course, I was like, I was still do-gooder, so I was going to mask it and I was going to keep getting my straight A's. Um, and, and that's what I did. Um, and there was like this honeymoon period of like nine months where that is what it was. I was like basically awake for nine months and happy for nine months. <laughs> and, you know, and then something, you know, switched. And then I started, you know, you know, having consequences or, or just started to not be so great. I started to have crashes and, you know, starting having really severe depressions. Um, and uh, um, it just was not great, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I was still just chasing that, that happiness. Um, and, and, you know, I'm like still in high school, right? So um, I'm 17, and I'm like, I want to move to New York City. So I'm like this full-blown um, alcoholic and drug addict. Thank you. <laughs> I want to see where I am on time. Okay, let's speed it up. <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend too much time on my drinking. Um, so basically, I'm this full-blown drug addict and alcoholic, and I moved to New York City. I'm, like, still 17 years old. And, um, and I was just, I mean, I was just a mess. And a really huge part of my story was about um, what it did to me emotionally and spiritually. Because to be honest, and sometimes I'm ashamed to share this, you know, in meetings, but I didn't have a ton of tangible consequences. I didn't get a DUI, even though I drank drunk. Or I drank drunk. <laughs> I drove drunk all the time. Um, well, when I was living in Florida still. Um, but then I moved to New York, and, you know, there was no need for that. But I didn't get a DUI. I never got arrested. Um, I, you know, didn't go to a psych ward. Um, nothing like that. I mean, I had, you know, woman consequences. Um, but... But yeah, my, my main consequences were just that, first of all, I, I um, you know, moved to college, moved to go to college, and uh, I couldn't make any friends. You know, I was very lonely, so lonely. And all my other friends were moving to, all around the country to go to school, and I kept seeing, you know, that they were building these new fabulous lives and making all their new friends, and I couldn't comprehend why I, that wasn't happening for me. Um, and the friends that I did have from high school, they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. And I was so hurt. I was so resentful over it. Um, and I was so mad at them, you know, and I couldn't see that it was because I was a total mess, you know. And any time, you know, the few times that we would go out together, I would, you know, end up like, you know, passed out on a stoop somewhere, you know, in the middle of the night, like, you know. Um, every single time, or like, you know, throwing up everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> just remember this one time with jello shots, like, just, I mean, just jello shots everywhere, like red everywhere. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was just drinking alone all the time, and it was so sad, so sad. I would just, you know, be in my dorm room alone all day, and then at night I would just wander the streets of New York all by my little lonesome. Um, and it was dangerous, so dangerous. <laughs> um, and so I'm very fortunate to have survived. Um, you know, and um, yeah, I have my little stories, but it's just nothing that special. And um, so, yeah, so, you know, one day it's like my sophomore year, and, well, I... I had had a, a, my boyfriend at the time, his aunt was in AA, 
and she was cutting my hair. She was a hairstylist, and, you know, it somehow came out, you know, I was probably talking to her about my problems, and, um, and she mentioned she was in AA, and she offered to take me to a meeting, and I really didn't want to go, but I was a people pleaser, so I, you know, went with her to a meeting, and, um, and, like, someone was sharing, and I, like, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I, I, I like, interrupted them in the middle of their share, <laughs> and they totally shot me down, um, and I was mortified. But, like, when you have never been to a meeting before, how do you know how it works, right? So now when, like, something will happen, like, that to a newcomer, I'm, like, I'm just so, you know, hurt for them because I, you know, I want the newcomer to feel so comfortable, you know, but it's it's kind of this crazy thing that we do. We all kind of get together, and everyone's kind of expected to know how the, the how it works, the rules, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. But so, and I and she gave me a big book, and I read it totally drunk. And I was like, wow, this is like really cool. Um, <laughs> but and I, you know, went back to New York, and you know, went drinking for a couple more months. But the seed had been planted. So I always think of that when I'm like dealing with newcomers who are just. I can tell they're like not even in it. Um, it's all about you, you just never know where the seed will be planted. Anyways, so so I, it, you know, it was the middle of my sophomore year and or my junior year, and one day I just woke up. There's no rhyme or reason why, and I was like, I need help, and I called my parents, and um, and they had they didn't want to believe it. Um, because I had done a pretty good job of hiding it, and, and there are no alcoholics in my family, just none whatsoever. Um, I mean, there's no divorce and no gay people, so it's like... <laughs> um, and, you know, but I really told them I needed help, and I ended up in a rehab. <clears throat> and, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful that I really believed in my core, and I had some great sponsors who helped me work really great first steps. Um, but I believe when I came in, like, I had my first step in my heart. Um, and I could also tell from my other behaviors that I, you know, that I am powerless and unmanageable. So, so I came in, and, and I just took those suggestions. Like, and I did my whole, like, perfectionist do-gooder thing with the program. You know, they said, you know, go to meetings every single day. I think I went to a meeting... I don't think I missed a meeting for a single day for, like, my first at least three years of sobriety. Um, and that's not the case now. But And I only say that because it was out of fear. It was out of just pure fear, you know. And they said, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor. Like, I literally just grabbed the first lady I saw, and I had nothing in common with her. Um, but I was just like, you know, whatever. You know, they said, work the steps. I totally worked the steps. Um, and uh, what else did they say? Get a higher power. Oh, my God, I have such God issues. But, you know, they, you know, they told me to, like, get on my knees and pray. And I, I have such a resentment, and I did not want to get on my knees. But they said to do it, and I was just willing to take those actions. Um, and for, um, what happened was after two, years, or two months in rehab, um, I moved back home with my parents in Miami for about <clears throat> seven months and just, like, did nothing. It was just like this. I, I was very fortunate to have that time to, like, rebuild. Um, and <laughs> I actually had, like, I would go to this meeting at, like, 7 a.m., and it wasn't even really an AA meeting. It was just a bunch of people sitting on this patio, like, smoking, and, like, and just going around, like, six people going around in a circle, like, bitching. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, and... And so one morning I left that meeting and these two ladies who were like my, you know, first sober buddies, <laughs> they were like the most unlikely pair for me. They're both from Jersey, Kathy and Angela. And I was leaving the meeting and they like swerved and cut me off in their pickup and they were like, get in. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and, but I was like, I was just like, whatever, I'll do anything that anyone asks of me or you know, and I had nothing going on in my life. I would literally leave that meeting, go to the gym, and then go home and eat a pint of ice cream. That was my day. <laughs> and 
So I got in the car with them, and I went to like get my first taste of service, and we went to go speak at a detox. Um, and then, oh, and then I had six months of sobriety, and I somehow got a commitment um, taking a meeting to a detox, even though you were supposed to have a year. And I don't know how I, you know, got that. And I remember thinking, oh, six months, like I'll be sober forever. <laughs> Because, like, six months is so much time when you're 20 years old, you know? Um, and, and I remember going to that detox and hearing people say that they had had 10 years and relapsed. And that just blew my mind. Like, I, I just remember being, like, scared, so scared. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, um, it, was, it was really good for me. Um, so at about um, nine months sober, I decided I wanted to move back to New York. And my parents were so against it. They were just terrified for me. Excuse me. Um, and, but, you know, I was fearless and I wanted to do it. But I was also really scared because I kept on hearing people say, you know, you do anything before your first year or or people move, people move in sobriety and they drink, you know. Um, but I wanted it. So so I I was like, I'm going to do it. And I, I did it, but I was like, I'm going to get so plugged in. <laughs> and, um, and I did it, and I went to my first meeting, or one of the first meetings that weekend that I moved. It was called Yes, Youth Enjoying Sobriety on Saturday Nights. And the first person who raised their hand... Uh, it was Blaine that <laughs> said, I, you know, I need someone to help me do this service commitment, take a meeting to a, a I think it was a psych ward. I was like, me! And I, and I, yeah, I was just like desperate to get plugged in. Um, and that was just the beginning of getting, you know, plugged into the young people's um, community, which I just had no idea about. And when I started like learning about it, I was like, what? Because when I first got sober, there were no young people in Miami. Or at least I didn't meet them. Which is so funny. Of course there are young people in Miami, right? And now when young people come to visit New York from Miami and they're like, oh my God, you know, this young people meeting. And I'm like, where were you guys <laughs> when I was getting sober? But I actually think, I like to think that that was really good for me because, you know, I was just building this very somber, sober foundation. <laughs> I don't know if I could have handled partying. Anyway, um, so oh, I just, I look back on that early sobriety with like, you know, like within, you know, after like nine months to, I don't know, the first couple years, with so much joy, so much happiness, like, you know, because I was like a little bit sober, still really young, I was like 21, and oh, I just soaked it up. I just, it was so wonderful. I mean, of course, they embraced me with open arms. You know, I got, I, the Friday night meeting, uh, Young and Wise became my home group. <clears throat> and I didn't have to think about where I was going to be Friday or Saturday night. Um, I mean, it saved my life. It truly saved my life. Who knows if I would have stayed sober if it wasn't for, the YPOC community, um, and I just had a blast. You know, I'd go to the meeting Friday, Saturday night, and then afterwards we'd go fellowship, and we'd go to the diner or go to, like, DTUT afterwards, and I'd be all crazy, like, you know, flirting with people or, like, obsessing about what the girls were thinking about me, you know, just, like, crazy in my head. Um, but, but being sober, having a blast, you know, laughing until my belly hurt, um, Oh, it was just, it was just so, I mean, it was just like one of the happiest times of my entire life. Um, you know, learning about how to be of service, being completely inclusive of everyone, looking for newcomers, like, come on, yeah. You know, just like people had been to me. Um, and, you know, and we'd go to dances and just like dance till you're totally sweaty and you, you feel like you're high. You're like, oh my God, this is even better. I've, ne you know, I never had as much fun high or drunk as I am now. Oh, and you're just like, you know, buzzing with sobriety. 
I mean, it was awesome. It was so awesome. Um, and it is so awesome. Like, you know, so then you got a little older. And, um, and then, so, you know, Jim asked me to speak a little bit on, like, some of the obstacles. Because it is a serious, when you get sober young, it's a huge gift, right? You don't have to um, have some of the, a lot of the consequences that you do if you, you know, stay out there. Yes, some people are like, yeah, yeah, I hate you. <laughs> but um, but it's tough because there's this feeling of missing out, right? A, a lot of people will, oh, timer's done, sorry. I'll try and wrap it up. But um, so that is a big obstacle that, you know, a lot of people will share about in meetings and has definitely, you know, it comes up. It comes maybe in waves, I think. For me, it has in sobriety, in, yeah, in sobriety. So, you know, and especially for me, because I am someone who just loves to just eat up life, you know. I am about partying and having fun. And if I feel for like a second that I have missed out on like a morsel of life, I get resentful and angry. Um, so I just made it my business to, you know, just grab life by the bulls. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's true, and you know, and and I really, it's important for me to share with other young AAs, especially newcomers, that that you don't have to miss out at all. And it's, not only do you not have to miss out, but you will most likely, you know, be able to do one million of the things that you would not have done if you were out there drinking. One of the big things for me was travel. I was like, okay, if I can't drink, then I am going to see the world sober. I'm serious. I love traveling, and the more dangerous, the better. <laughs> the more exotic and crazy the place, the better. And I've been to meetings, AA meetings in uh, Argentina, um, China, India, Cambodia, I mean, that's not all the places I've been, but those are the meetings that I've gone to because I love going to meetings where I travel because I feel like you get to really know the local culture and, like, um, I mean, it's awesome. Um, and I, that's just one of the biggest gifts that I've gotten of sobriety, getting to see the world. Um, and what else can I share? Um, I also, I, you know, maybe I'll close on this. Um, I am, you know, sharing this with, like, all this love and energy for AA is really special for me because I'm a big cynic. Um, I am not, like, an AA cheerleader. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I, I um, my personality is more like I'm a big skeptic. And I am the first person to question AA and question... I mean, everything, everything. Um, and that's what I think is so cool about AA, is that that's okay, you know? I mean, it may be a little more difficult to, like, to stay in here and, you know, not toe the party line every time. But I have been able to be here, stay sober as long as I have. And, like, I can... I can be who I am, have my personality, question anything I want, you know? Um, and, um, and stay sober. And um, I think it's important to voice that. There's room for everyone in AA, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I just love that so much. So I guess with that, I will thank you so very much, all of you, for my sobriety. Um, and for uh, Nicepa, oh my God, I didn't talk about the boat cruise. <laughs> you guys, Nicepa is putting on this boat cruise. Um, like last year, it was it was one of those times that was like reminded me of my early sobriety when I just like had such a blast. And everyone should come. We're selling tickets. Um, what? Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars, and the price will go up. Seriously, it's a boat cruise around Manhattan. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it is not to be missed. It is like the most awesome party I've been to in sobriety. And it's this summer. Oh, my God, I'm like freaking out. I don't have all the details. But you can meet Sydney and um, everyone back there. And that is all I have to say. I love you guys so much. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Louise.
Thank you, Erica. You've heard two people share their experience, strength, and hope uh, in terms of communicating our legacies. And uh, I'd just like to close with this. Um, it comes, it's an excerpt from Dr. Bob's farewell talk. And uh, in it he says, there are two or three things that flashed into my mind on which it would be fitting to lay a little emphasis. One is the simplicity of our program. Let's not louse it up with Freudian complexes and things that are interesting to the scientific mind, but have very little to do with our actual AA work. Our 12 steps, when simmered down to the last, resolve themselves into words, into the words love and service. We understand what love is, and we understand what service is. So let's bear those two things in mind. Let us also remember to God that erring member of the tongue, and if we must use it, let's use it with kindness and consideration and tolerance. And one more thing. None of us would be here today if somebody hadn't taken the time to explain things to us, to give us a little pat on the back, to take us to a meeting or two, to do numerous little kind and thoughtful acts in our behalf. So never let us get such a degree of smug complacency that we're not willing to extend or attempt to extend to our less fortunate brothers that hope which has been so beneficial to us. Thank you very much for being here, and we'll close with the serenity prayer. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.